Welcome to the Self Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all this morning. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad to be up here. Um, But I have to admit, you know, Alex has done a terrific job taking us through Acts. And now I'm going to do the last one in the series. And that doesn't seem to be quite fair, but um, I'll do it. But I'd love to hear what Alex would say about these. In fact, you know, as we went through Acts... You know, we kind of focused on that the first part. And then we had a, a couple times dealing with Paul, who was formerly called Saul, who was on his missionary journey when he went to Philippi, when he went to Athens. And, uh, and now we're coming to the end. And I'd love to see us revisit Acts and do the second part of Acts together sometime. So I'll just put that out as a request to Alex. And um, hey, it's going to be on tape, so it's there for all to see. Um, I, I, I welcome you. And, you know... We're coming to Thanksgiving. It's going to be a great time. Then we come to Advent. And um, tonight, Carrie and I are going to hop on a plane. And uh, we're going to go back east. And we're going to go back east for a family celebration. My mom, now this kind of gives away my age a little bit. I I always thought it was my hairstyle. But my mom is turning 100 this week. And we're going to have a chance to celebrate with her. Yeah. It's a neat time. It's a neat time. It's going to be a sweet time. Um, and, and just reflecting as a family together. But, you know, it kind of sets me into this thing of realizing, hey, we're a family together. And we reflect every week together. We're a community. And I want to help us just kind of dig into some, as we look at Acts, in which we see the birth of the church. We see the birth of this community that's been going generation after generation after generation up until right now, and will continue to go. It's amazing to see how I think there are two, I'll say solid themes that come in Acts and are still as important today as they were back then. And those two themes come out in the first couple verses of Acts. So we're going to go back to the beginning of Acts and just see what the author of Acts, his name is Luke, but see what he kind of says as he's getting ready to write this book. Now, I would just preface all this by saying we're going to go through like six chapters so if you're going to try to follow in your bibles it may be a little hard and i apologize about that we're going to fly through these so i'll try to have the scriptures up there but just so you know it is the bible okay here we go uh back at verse one of chapter one in my first book i told you theophilus about everything jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Now he's talking about his his gospel or the biography of Jesus that he wrote, Luke wrote. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Now, that just seems a little odd to me. Um, He's with them, he's standing in front of them and he's proving to them that he's alive, which means that some of them said, prove to me you're alive. Um, the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead. And that's one of those themes that we get in the book of Acts throughout. The good news that Jesus is alive. The resurrection's for real. The resurrection 
brings a change, a transformation. If we really believe that there's a resurrection from the dead and there will be a resurrection from the dead in the future, it should bring an immediate impact on our lives right now. And sometimes that immediate impact, yeah, we can be a little bit, uh, I don't know, scared sometimes to, to speak up about it. Because face it, the resurrection can be kind of a stumbling block for some people. And we don't like to be criticized for something that we believe so strongly. So there's the next verse that he has in Luke chapter 1. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here's this wonderful transforming belief about the resurrection. And now here's this wonderful transforming gift of the Holy Spirit of God himself who comes to dwell within us to empower us to be able to have that courage, to be able to have that creativity, to be able to know the words to share. And so the second principle is, hey, this was God's plan so he could live within us. The Holy Spirit is for real. And we see that on page after page after page after page of Acts. We see... We, we see the, the transforming power of these people who were a, a small, scared little group. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. And suddenly they have this courage to go out and speak to all these people on Pentecost. And there's thousands that come to believe. And throughout the pages, we see time and time again, sometimes there's victory. Sometimes there's questions and challenges. Sometimes it, it makes so much sense. And other times it's kind of, Why? But the Holy Spirit is there all along the way, and the power of the resurrection is there all along the way. And it brings us then toward the end of Acts in this life of Paul, as we're going to see how he ends. But as I think of this transforming power of the resurrection, I have to go back. Um, I've been around South for a while, and years ago there was a song that we used, uh, a chorus that we used to sing doesn't have any tricky melody, so we probably won't sing it much today. But the, the words are powerful. Every morning's Easter morning, from now on. Every day is resurrection day. The past is over and gone. Goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, good riddance. Hello, Lord, hello, son. I am one of the Easter people. My new life has begun. I, I, I always have that going through my mind. And um, I don't know how to end it, but you know, we used to sing it over and over and over. But it makes so much sense. Goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, good riddance. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these things are put away. The past is over and done. And now we're starting a new life with him. A transformative life in which we are called with his purpose and power to step into the world to be his hands and feet. That's amazing. And the spirit empowers us to do it. And we're going to see how Paul, with his with his belief in the resurrection, with the power of the Holy Spirit, he endured, he persevered, he was determined at the end of this book of Acts to do something. Um, I'm going to pick up, here's a map of what we call Paul's third missionary journey, which means he had two before that. Um, so he had three missionary journeys. And, um, you know, Alex has been kind of focusing the last couple of weeks on some things that happened during the second missionary journey. When he went to Philippi, and when he went down to Athens and spoke in both of those places. That happened on his second missionary journey. But in this third one, we see where Paul went and he visited some of the churches that he had already planted. And then he came to Ephesus. 
And, and in Ephesus, it tells us he stayed there for three whole years teaching and preaching and, uh, and, and telling them more and more about the resurrection. And while he was there, he heard that uh, the church in Jerusalem was suffering because there was a famine and many of the people were very needy. So he let all of his churches know that he had planted. He let them know that this was going on in Jerusalem and he wanted them to put money together and then he was going to take a big offering, a big gift back to the church in Jerusalem so they could have it. So that's when you see him going over there into Greece and some of those places, Macedonia. And then you see that purple line? That purple line is when he's coming back toward Jerusalem and he sails back to Jerusalem and he lands at a place down there, if you can read that word, Tyre. He lands at Tyre. And here's what happens in Tyre. Some people come to him. We went ashore. We found the local believers. We stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city, came down to the shore with us. They, there we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard, and they returned home. You know, I read that, and I go, now, wait a minute. Now, wait, I, I thought the Holy Spirit said, don't go. And it doesn't seem like Paul stopped. They went. Um, they went down the coast a little bit, and they ended up at a place called Caesarea. And in Caesarea, this happened. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judah. He came over, took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it, and he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So I ask you, what's going on here? Because Paul went on to Jerusalem. Um, you know, when, when we look at the Apostle Paul, and if we come back to Acts, we'll look a little bit deeper into this, but Paul listened to the Holy Spirit. He didn't disobey the Spirit. Uh, if I go back to this map, um, right here, if I go back to this map, now this is the third missionary journey, but what happened when he went on a second journey, notice where Ephesus is, he never got to Ephesus. In fact, he wanted to go to Ephesus. But he started going, and all of a sudden the Spirit said, no. He, it says he hindered him from going. So Paul stopped. I don't know if he heard a voice. I don't know what happened, but the Spirit hindered him from going to Ephesus, and Paul obeyed that. So then he was going to go up to, see that big word, Asia? Right up in there is a, is a province like Bithynia, it's called. And he thought, well, it makes sense. I'll just go up north, and I'll go to Bithynia. And the Spirit stopped him from going there, hindered him from going. Both times he listened. And I'm sure both times he said, what gives? Come on. And he ended up going over to Troas. And when he was in Troas, he had a dream. And the dream said, come across to us. Come over to Macedonia. Come over to Greece and speak to us. And he interpreted that as the Holy Spirit and he went. Now, back to the third journey. I'm sorry if I'm mixing you up, but back to the third journey. You see that purple line? That's after Paul collected all this money for Jerusalem, and then he hopped on a boat, and he went across and ended up down in Tyre. But when you look there, it says he stopped not far from Ephesus. And when he went to Ephesus, he asked for the elders of the Ephesian church to come meet with him. And basically, he said goodbye to them. And this is what he said to them. And realized this was a few days before he got to Tyre, and heard some of these prophecies about not going to Jerusalem. He said to the folks in Ephesus, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail 
and suffering lie ahead. But my life's worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news, the wonderful news of the grace of God, the wonderful news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the wonderful news that the Holy Spirit empowers us. I've got to go. But you wonder, wow, his spirit is he's bound by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit tells him in city after city that he's going to suffer. So I had to go back and do a little bit of digging. And, um, I, you know, the Bible was written in Aramaic and Greek. And, and when I got back into the Greek, I found that that word spirit is pneumatos. Pneumatos. And that was, that was there. But right there where it says Holy Spirit, there was also a second word, agios, which means holy. And it, it defined the spirit. It said, this is the Holy Spirit who's saying, when you go, you're going to face jail and all kinds of persecution. The first word, I now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. When I looked, it was just pneumatos. It didn't have any agios with it. So it was just Spirit. And some people have translated that as saying, Paul is saying, I'm bound by my conscience. I'm bound by my Spirit to go because God's Spirit himself has told me, yes, I'm going to suffer, but I've got to complete the work. So I went back to the other things that were said, to Agabus. He came over, took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet, and he said, the Holy Spirit declares it. And guess what? When I went in there, yes, it was agios and pneumatos. It was Holy Spirit. And when you look at his message, it doesn't contradict what God was telling him in Ephesus. It's the very same thing. You're going to suffer. When I went to that other passage in Tyre, we went ashore, found the local believers, stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. In other words... When I got in there and looked, there wasn't that word agios. There was just pneumatos. Now, I know I can open up a whole can of worms when we get into this, but I believe what was going on there, these people were very well-meaning, and they were saying, hey, we've heard that things are going to be bad if you go to Jerusalem. Don't go. We feel in our spirit that you're not to go to Jerusalem. Um, you know, I, I guess uh, I, would, I would share a little personal situation that Carrie and I had. And many of you, well, most of you know that Carrie and I have never been able to have children. And that's a great sadness for us. And we've learned to live with that. Um, but years ago, I've, I've been at South a number of years. And um, back in 1999, uh, when I was an associate pastor earlier, we went with a group of students from South down to Mexico. And we had a great trip. It was an amazing time, um, and it, it stretched us out of our comfort zones. I can still remember when we drove in. We'd been driving on the bus all day. We'd been driving all day Saturday. We got there Sunday night about 4.45, and we were told we were going to be at a church at 5.30, and I had to preach a sermon. That was out of my comfort zone. But uh, Thursday night, I had had prayer warning, so I was able to preach on Thursday night. Things went quite a bit better. We had a great time in this service and um, Carrie shared her story. And she shared how we couldn't have children. And she was a teacher. I, will always, I, will, I can see this so clearly. At the end of the service, they were having some great times of worship. And it was a much more uh, emotional service. And um, all of a sudden, coming down the aisle was this older gentleman with tears flowing down his face. And he was raising his hands, and he was just speaking in Spanish, and I had no idea what he was saying. 
And the missionary just kind of turned to me and said, uh, Dan, you better get prepared. I said, uh-oh. And anyway, he came down, and basically he announced to the whole church that God had told him that this woman was going to have a child. And so they called Carrie down to join me, and probably 40 people gathered around and laid hands, and everybody was praying. They laid hands all over Carrie. Um, they were praying all over her, and I'm sitting there saying, wow, okay, Lord. And the, the missionary said, you better go home and paint your nursery. Um, I'm looking in the back of the church, two rows of kids, students at South, who are sitting there saying, what in the world is going on? Um, we had to download that some. We said, hey, let's meet in 10 months and see if this comes out. We met in 10 months, and as you can imagine, no, we didn't have a child. Um, and, and Carrie and I have had to wrestle and deal with that. That will always be in my mind. But I believe every one of those people in that church loved Jesus to the max. And the last thing they wanted was for us not to have a child. And so in their heart of hearts, they were saying, you're going to have a child. But it says in Scripture to test the spirits, to make sure, to make sure this is a message coming from Jesus. Anyway, I believe very much that Paul, as he's coming back, these people meant so much. They so much didn't want to see Paul suffer. But he said, I've got to go because I have to complete the work of telling others the good news about the grace of God. And so he went to Jerusalem, and guess what? Everything broke loose. He goes to Jerusalem. He, he meets with uh, the apostles and the, and the leaders of the Jerusalem church, and they say, you know, some people are really questioning if you're preaching against the law of Moses as, as we present Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, okay, I'll go to the temple, and I will prove that I still love the law of Moses, but Jesus is the one who come and frees us. And so he went to the temple. And while he was at the temple, it was Pentecost, so there were a lot of people there. And some of the Jewish men from Ephesus had hopped on a boat and come all the way over to Jerusalem to worship at Pentecost. And when they saw Paul, they recognized this man who had taught there for three years. And they started sending out rumors, rumors that he had tried to undermine the Jewish faith. Listen to what happened. The whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed and Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him and as they were trying to kill him, they were trying to kill him. Word reached to the, Roman, to the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar and he immediately called out his soldiers and officers. They ran down among the crowd and when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Now, there's some pretty physical violence going on here. And I would think, oh my goodness. You know, if I were Paul, you might say, I should have listened. But he was grabbed and he was dragged by a mob. And then they were trying to kill him. Who knows what they were doing to him. But at that time, word comes to a commander in the Roman legion that this is happening. So he musters his forces and he comes down and he dissipates it. But that would take some time. I think Paul was looking in pretty bad shape by the time they got there. Mm. Anyway, the Roman soldiers get around Paul. They protect him. They're walking with Paul out of this mob. And, and Paul says to him, would you let me speak to my people? 
He's just been beaten up, and now he wants to speak to them, and so he speaks to them. He shares that, hey, he's just here to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, and this happens. The mob grew so violent at that that the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed behind shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. Boy, I can't imagine being in his shoes, and it just reminds me. It reminds me, when the Holy Spirit speaks, it may not always be good news, but it will be truthful. When the Holy Spirit speaks, and he does speak, and his presence is with us. But sometimes we have this picture of a, such a loving God who's our best friend, and he would never hurt us. He would never discourage us. It may not always be good news, but he will provide the power to be able to follow into his truth. And it reminds me of a verse that Paul gives us in Romans when he said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God will go with us into his truth. And like Paul, yes, I'm not saying Paul was not afraid. Man, I'd be so afraid if I had a mob after me. But the Spirit of God kept him alive and kept him moving forward so that he could proclaim the good news. Um, There's four characters that we're going to see now. Four characters that Paul has the opportunity to be able to live in front of, speak to. And these four characters, I doubt that he ever would have had the opportunity to come into their presence if he hadn't followed the Holy Spirit's leading. To Jerusalem. The first is a, a, a Roman tribune, uh, Claudius Lysias. And Claudius Lysias is the one who came down and saved Paul's life from that mob. He was in charge of a cohort, which is part of a legion of Roman soldiers. A cohort is about 600 soldiers. So this man was no pansy, but he, he led these soldiers there in Jerusalem, which was a tough place to have a cohort of uh, Roman soldiers. Um, so He not only saved Paul's life then, but he saved Paul's life a couple other times that we're going to see. The next person that comes in is Marcus Antonius Felix. He was a governor of Judea or a procurator of Judea. This guy was kind of a, he was kind of a character. He he ruled about eight to nine years in Judea. He was known for being very, rather vicious and uh, cruel. And also he was kind of conniving. He was very greedy. Anyway, Felix. The next one is uh, Portius Festus. Portius Festus. Now, he was the next governor that came in, which kind of gives you a clue that Paul was under prison arrest for quite a period of time here. Enough time so that these two governors, one could be deposed while the other one came in. And what happened to Felix was that he got a little too cruel and Caesar called him back to Rome and he was demoted at that point, whereas Festus then was, was appointed to come in to uh, Jerusalem and to Caesarea and Judea. And the final character we're going to see is Herod Agrippa II. Herod Agrippa II is king of Judea. All four of these individuals have some kind of interaction with Paul over the next four chapters, and we're going to fly through these four chapters. Um, first, Lysias has this idea, if I can just bring Paul together with this council of Jews, 
the, the Jewish counselors, then they'll be able to reason together and I can find out what's going on here. So he brings them together and Paul says, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I'm on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. And guess what happened after he said that? A conflict grew more violent, and the commander was afraid they'd tear Paul apart. Now, this is about a day later, and these people are still after Paul's neck because he believes in the resurrection, because he believes in what all the Jews were hoping for, that the Messiah would come. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. After doing that, he uncovered a plot. He was told about a plot that um, they wanted to kill Paul um, as they were going to escort him to the governor, uh, and he intervened with that. But that night, as Paul was lying in the jail cell, and I have a feeling probably pretty bloodied, probably pretty bruised, this happened. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So he has that promise. He has that determination the resurrection is for real. He knows the Holy Spirit is with him. Lysias realizes it's probably a little bit too hot to have him down here. So I'm going to send him to Caesarea. And I'm going to send him there by night so that there won't be anybody along the way to assassinate him. And he writes a letter to the governor, Governor Felix. And he says these words. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. But then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of the accusations against him. And I soon discovered the charge was something regarding their religious law. It was certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. So he had him taken up to Caesarea, which is in the north part of Judea. And uh, Governor Felix met him, read Lysias' letter, and said, Okay, I'm going to bring that Jewish council up here, and we're going to hear what what happened. So he had the council come up there, and uh, they presented their argument. They had a hotshot lawyer with them who presented their their case. And then Paul stood in front of Felix and said these words, These men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But I do admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors. I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. The resurrection. The resurrection. Um, He's saying that in front of this council, which half of that council didn't believe that there was a resurrection. And Paul's saying this before the governor. I believe in the resurrection. Um, He also says, ask these men here what crime the Jewish high council found me guilty of. Except for the one time I shouted, I'm on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. At that point, Felix said, okay, enough, enough. And he called the closing, uh, he, he called it to a closing. And he sent the council back to Jerusalem and he sent Paul back to prison. But listen to what happened next. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. And when I looked up that word frightened, it really means frightened. Which probably says a lot about his character. That he would be frightened that here's this prisoner 
talking about righteousness and talking about justice. And all of a sudden, he starts to get convicted. When it's more convenient, I'll call you again. And get this. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him. I'm not sure where he expected Paul to get the money. Unless he heard that maybe Paul had come to Jerusalem with a large offering for the Jerusalem church. I'm not sure. But for some reason, he thought he could get money out of Paul. But look at the last one. So he sent for him quite often, and he talked with him. This lasted for two years. Two years that Felix didn't let him out of prison. Two years that Felix would call him to come to him and talk. Two years that they would dialogue back and forth. Two years that Paul would share about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like I said, Felix went a little too far. He got a little too violent at one point, and Caesar called him back. And so then he sent Festus. And Festus came, and Festus learned from the Jews that there was this guy Paul in his jail up there in Caesarea. And, and Festus said, well, okay, come up and talk to me about Paul. And so they had a little interaction. And then Paul said to Festus, I'm not guilty of any crimes against the Jewish laws of the temple of the Roman government. If I've done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I'm innocent, no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Up until this time, Paul has really had freedom to be able to go around and share his faith. He's been able to travel all around the Roman Empire. Now, Paul is in jail. Paul is confined. And to tell you the truth, Paul is dependent on the Holy Spirit to come up with his travel arrangements. He is now in a, in a prison cell, and he's able to talk to Festus, the governor. Um, when his accusers came here, this is Festus talking now, and I should back up because Festus heard Paul and then sent Paul back to the jail cell, and then King Agrippa came. And he's trying to explain to Herod Agrippa II about this prisoner. When his accusers came for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case in the very next day, and I ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations met against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus, who Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things. You know, I read that, and I thought, man... If Paul can be in a jail cell and he insists that Jesus is alive, I should be able to do that over a cup of coffee. Isn't it something how integral the resurrection is? The power of the resurrection, the transformation of the resurrection. Um, Festus is explaining this to, to King Herod II, and Herod says, well, let's hear Paul. Let's let him share. And so this is what Paul shares with uh, Festus and Agrippa. He says, if they would admit it, they know that I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me because I have this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me, but God has protected me right up to the present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. And at that point, Governor Festus interrupted and said, 
Paul, I think you've lost your mind. You've been reading too much. The resurrection can be a stumbling block. Believing that the dead can come alive can stretch people so much. But the resurrection is so crucial. And look what Herod Agrippa says. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Now, that almost sounds like it's a challenge. Some other versions put it this way. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Wow. Four men, four chapters. And at the end of each chapter, you hear this same theme. This man has done nothing to deserve capital punishment. He does not deserve death. But he's appealed to Caesar, so he's got to go to to Rome. And so he starts the next section of his journey with the Holy Spirit as his tour guide. He hops on a boat. He's put on a ship, and he's going to be sent to Rome, where he's supposed to talk to Caesar. And this is a a little map of uh, of the trip that the boat takes when he goes. Um, And I'll just highlight a few things. It goes up to Sidon. That's the first place they go to. And and Sidon, actually the commander who was in charge of these, uh, the prisoners who were on this boat, the commander lets Paul have freedom to be able to go and visit some friends in Sidon. So you can see Paul and this commander, his name was Julius, are starting to be able to know each other some. Um, Then they hop back in the boat again, and you see it curves around that they were in. And this storm lasted for two weeks. And there's a verse in here that says they couldn't see the sun, they couldn't see the moon, they couldn't see the stars to be able to figure out where they were. They thought they were going to crash into the the, the shore of North Africa. This was such a violent storm that the sailors actually took ropes and tried to lash the hull together. 
I don't know who went underneath to put the rope underneath and back up. But they tried to keep the boat together that way. It was being tossed, torn apart. And I can just imagine Paul. He's not in a jail cell now, but he's down the base of this boat. And they're being tossed all over. And uh, he's probably thinking to himself, I thought I was going to get to Rome. It says that all the sailors and all the people on this boat didn't eat anything for two weeks in this storm. At first I thought that's a, that's a stretch until I kind of put myself in their shoes and realized I probably would have lost anything I would have eaten if I had a storm like that. Uh, Paul says these words to him <clears throat> in the middle of the storm. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship is going to go down. Last night, an angel, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. I believe it will be just as he said, but... We are going to be shipwrecked, and we're going to be on an island. Wow. And you know what? It happened just like that. They were tossed around some more. Um, the, the storm was fierce. They couldn't tell where they were. But as they were starting to take soundings, they realized, oh, we're coming to some landmass. And the sailors actually thought, there's no way we can bring this boat in. So they tried to steal the lifeboats and get off themselves. The soldiers caught them before they could do that. And then the soldiers cut the lifeboats and let the lifeboats go. So nobody could get off the boat. And the boat was driven farther and farther in. And finally, you know, it looked like it was inevitable they were going to hit these rocks. And so the soldiers themselves thought, well, these prisoners, if they escape, it's our neck. So they pulled out their swords and they were ready to execute these prisoners. When the commander, Julius, stepped in and said, no. Paul said everyone's going to make it, so we're going to make it together. Isn't that amazing? And sure enough, they hit the rocks. The boat went to smithereens. The commander or the, the captain of the ship said, everybody grab some wood and take it wherever it takes you. And everybody got to shore safely. But the drama didn't stop there. Um, they're soaking wet. It's a, it's a storm. As things began to die down, they built a bonfire. To, and, and the people from the town came to help them. And in the middle of gathering wood, Paul gets bit by a snake, a viper. It's hanging from his hand, and it says the people from the town were, were saying, ooh, this guy must really be a bad criminal because his justice is caught up with him. And Paul shakes the snake off. It goes in the fire. And then they're watching him saying, this guy's going to swell up, and he's going to burst right in front of us. And he didn't, and he was healed. And they said he's a god. And then... A little while later, this happens. Near the shore where we landed, which was in the island of Malta, was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. And he welcomed us and he treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and they were healed as well. And as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit with them every step of the way. And they were provided with the means to be able to get from Malta up to Italy. 
and from Italy, where they landed, up to Rome. And when they got into Rome, it's amazing, but Paul, as he's coming there and he's anticipating, I'm going to appeal to Caesar, I'm going to be before Caesar. But the first thing he does is call the Jewish synagogue and say, I want to meet with you as leaders. And here's what he says to them. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I'm bound with this change because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. He explained and he testified about the kingdom of God and he tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. But guess what? He persuaded some. He didn't persuade others. The spirit worked with some. The spirit didn't work with others. And Paul stayed in rest there in Rome for two years. And that is the end of Acts. He didn't die at the end. He still has some life to live. But he spent two years in prison waiting to talk to Caesar. But listen to this as the closing of Acts. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Wow. What a journey. What a determination because the resurrection is true. The resurrection is for real. And what an empowerment because the Holy Spirit was with him every step of the way, guiding him. And I'm convinced that the same is true of us today. The resurrection's for real. Every morning is Easter morning from now on. Every day is resurrection day. The past is over. It's gone. Goodbye guilt. Goodbye fear. Good riddance. Because the resurrection's for real. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. Um, I wonder what Paul might have said to folks who would come visit him. And I'm just going to read some last verses that are written in in a a letter to Corinth. And um, the reason I'm reading it is because Corinth, the letters that he wrote to Corinth, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that was written just before he hopped on that boat and came across to Jerusalem where all of this drama began to unfold. And so this is some of his latest thought. Here's what he said, and this is a paraphrase from the message. Now, let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there's no such thing as a resurrection? Seems like there were some people right in that Corinthian church who were saying, you know, I love this stuff about Jesus, but not the resurrection. You just can't believe that. That's too much. And Paul's challenging them and saying, No, the resurrection is key. If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors, and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we'd be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrication, if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised... Well, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, well, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their grave. 
If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised. He has been the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. And I believe that includes each and every one of us. You know, I, I think of how I'm going to be going home tonight. And I'm going to see mom. And we're going to celebrate her 100th birthday, which, face it, most people don't get to that. Um, we had a little open house for her yesterday. And I wasn't able to be there, but my brother, I talked to him last night. And he said, you know, the interesting thing happened. There was probably about 30 people all sitting there in the room. They were all chatting and, and everything kind of quieted down. And then mom just said very clearly to one of the ladies who used to sing in their church. said, hey, Donna, would you sing at my funeral? <laughs> Everybody's going, whoa, we're here to celebrate your life. But you know what? She has said to me so many times on Monday mornings when we talk on the phone, Dan, I want to go home. I want to go home. She totally believes in the resurrection. Now, I know I'll see her someday, too. And I believe each and every one of us, the resurrection is so pivotal to our faith. Yes, it can be a stumbling block. And you know what? God will take it when, it's, when we stumble, and he'll help us to step back up, and he'll walk with us more and more into the power of that knowledge that the resurrection is true, and that his Holy Spirit is walking with us. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South Family. Have a great rest of your day.